Manya Nation, let's ride. But Don Nealon's Mountaineers enjoy walking in where angels fear to tread. Harris in trouble, stiff arms, the would-be tackler comes out of the 25 to 20, goes around about it to 15 to 10 to 5, a touchdown with Virginia, he did it! to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. And now, the show brought to you by Mountaineer fans, for Mountaineer fans, the Country Road Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into another episode of the CRW Podcast. Here we are back again for Season 5, Episode 156 of the show here. I know we just recently put out an episode this offseason, and it's a little rare for us to have consecutive episodes and back-to-back weeks throughout the offseason where we know the podcast episodes, of course, are a little bit more few and far between than what we get to once the season kicks off and we're coming at you sometimes even multiple times a week, but at least once a week. But I know there were several subjects that we touched on in episode 155 that we told you guys we provide updates on as the situations continue to unfold. We have updates on a lot of those now, some of which we'll, of course, talk about in our main topic as we're talking about some transfer portal additions for the Mountaineers as the main topic of the show. Others you'll see featured in our Mountaineer news segment, of course, as we have already actually provided brief updates on some of these things over on the Country Roads webcast YouTube channel. So if you're tuned into this episode on the audio version, we appreciate you tuning in that way, whether you be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, wherever you take in the Country Roads webcast. We really appreciate that, but we do encourage you hop over to the Country Roads Webcast YouTube channel where you get some more exclusive updates and some more short form update videos than you get just in these long form podcast episodes, which, like I said, throughout the off season won't be as consistent, but there on the YouTube, you can find a little bit more updates, but I still like to update it here on the audio version, of course, for the people that only tune in that way as well. But if you are a viewer of the episode and you're watching on the YouTube side, whether it be on our channel or on the WV Sports Now YouTube channel, which you can find the show over on the web as well at wvsportsnow.com, where you'll find all kinds of great Mountaineer sports content. Really thankful to be a part of the Sports Now family of networks. But if you're tuned into the video version there or on our YouTube channel, do us a favor either way. Hit that like button. Give us a thumbs up on the video. It really helps this video's performance, which in turn helps future videos performances here on the channel. And if you're a West Virginia fan, be sure hit that subscribe button. Helps us and it helps you as it helps get more of this Mountaineer sports content out to Mountaineer Nation and plenty of Mountaineer sports content to get to here on episode 156 of the CRW podcast. We'll dive in with some Mountaineer news and, of course, our main topic as we talk transfer portal. But before we get into that, let's kick this off the way we always like to with our opening segment of a little off topic babble. (laughs) 
All right. Been a while since we've had a chance to feature an off-topic babble segment here on the podcast. But, of course, when we do get a chance to feature these, you know I love to talk movies and TV shows, things like that. When we're all three together, it's a great chance for us all to get to catch up on what each other's been doing, what we've been watching, you know, just some stuff to communicate about other than WVU sports. I know some listeners and viewers hate this part of the show. That's why we always try and lead off with it. So you can skip right to the Mountaineer news and the main topic if you like, of course. But there is some people that do enjoy it, and it's always fun for us. So we're always going to include off-topic babble to kick things off. But that's also why I always include timestamps in the video description if you're watching on that side or in the show notes if you're listening on the audio side. So if you're not interested in off-topic babble here, go ahead, scroll down, hit the timestamp, move on to Mountaineer News, get all your WVU sports coverage only if that's the way you prefer. But off-topic babble, of course, I'm going to talk a little bit about some movies here. I think the last time I had a chance to do an off-topic babble segment was either early of this, either the first part of this year or late last year. Either way, I think I was talking about my top movies of 2022. So we're almost halfway through 2023 already. Hard to believe getting closer and closer to Mountaineer football season. And of course, getting very excited about that. But I've watched a decent amount of movies, I think, so far this year, if I haven't left any off my list here on Letterboxd app. Uh, I've watched 18 up to this point. Uh, follow me on Letterboxd if you're on there, JC Cruz. Great way to keep up with movies. I love making lists on there and stuff, usually ranking uh, the yearly movies, the new releases as I see them, making a list there, as you see here, that I do every year. And I uh, talked about my top 10 last year. This is kind of what I've got so far this year out of what I've seen. I'm not going to talk extensively about all of these or anything, but just some of the ones that were really standouts to me. Most recent one I saw, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Great effort. Love all the MCU for, for the most part. I really got into it around Captain America Winter Soldier. Pre that, I wasn't that big of a Marvel fan, but since then, it's been great. Of course, the Avengers films were great. I know since then, there's been a lot of criticism, and I'd say post-Endgame, this is definitely top two or three things that Marvel's done, in my opinion. But I'm a big fan of James Gunn in general, his work. I love the fact that he's coming over to DC now. He made The Suicide Squad, which is a great movie, a couple years ago. I believe that was 2020, 2021. And then last season, last year, excuse me, coming out with the Peacemaker TV series as well for DC, kind of a spinoff of that Suicide Squad movie. And that was phenomenally well done limited series on HBO Max, which I think they may be doing a season two of, if I'm not mistaken. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, essentially James Gunn's last MCU film. He's written and directed all of these Guardians of the Galaxy films and done a great job. A lot of people hate on part two. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 even. I love Kurt Russell, of course, so maybe that gives me a little bit of bias. But I thought that this was certainly right up there with the first one for me. I think you can't really top that first Guardians of the Galaxy film, but this one comes really close. It's right there with it. I think it was a really great uh, film. Well done. That's why it's right now up there, as you see, my second favorite of the year so far. And as a true DC fan at heart, I grew up loving Superman, grew up loving Batman. I can't be more excited for James Gunn now going to be leading the DCU coming over there. He's heading that, the head of DC Films now, taking over his first film that he's writing is Superman Legacy. I think that's coming out in 2025 as he kickstarts his DCU here coming soon. I think that I'm very interested to see how that turns out. I love James Gunn and his work. So I'm excited about that one. Evil Dead Rise, I saw that as well. Big fan of the Evil Dead franchise. And I think, as you see here, my third favorite film of the year, so that shows you how highly I regard it. But also, I think it goes to say how highly I regard the Evil Dead franchise in general 
when I think it's one of the more successful horror franchises as far as a lot of the major horror franchises, whether you're talking Friday the 13th, Halloween, Hellraiser, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, you name it. Most of those have at least, you know, two or three films within that series that even the major fans regard as just terrible films. I think Evil Dead is one where every film that they've made, every feature film they've had, has been very successful to the point that, as you see, as much as I love Evil Dead Rise to where it's my third favorite film of the year so far, I think it'd probably be at the bottom of my Evil Dead ranking. It's a toss-up between it and the 2013 remake because, to me, the OG trilogy, however you want to rank it, is the top three, and then you go four and five with Evil Dead Rise or the 2013 Evil Dead movie. But Evil Dead Rise, really well done, I thought. Uh, really did some nice Sam Raimi-isms. I think Lee Cronin did a great job. You could tell that uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were certainly involved. Great Easter eggs and callbacks to Ash. You know, you had the chainsaw and stuff. Like, so I'm not going to get into too many spoilers on any of these movies. Most of these are fairly new, but uh, certainly really enjoyed uh, Evil Dead Rise. And uh, I think it was a good time at the movies. Number one film of the year. Last one I'll talk about here. Won't take up too much of your guys' time. But Air, if you haven't seen it yet, I went out and saw it uh, the first night that it came out in theaters. Had a great time there. But it's actually now been released on Amazon Prime, I believe, within the past week or so. I actually finally got my fiance to watch it. She's not into, you know, sports that much or anything like that and she didn't really think she would enjoy it but I think she ended up even enjoying it way more than she expected and uh, for me personally someone that loves the Chicago Bulls and really loves Michael Jordan and you know always has since the time I was you know could walk really essentially I guess uh, it really meant a lot to me you know I, when I watched it in the theaters I shed tears a couple times even when I rewatched it again with her same thing uh, really great work I think Ben Affleck everything he directs seems to be a home run he is really great at delivering emotional moments and I think especially with him and Matt Damon together it's always great work uh, Matt Damon has a scene like I said no spoilers where he's talking and giving a speech to Michael Jordan and that's definitely one of the times when I shed tears he did phenomenal acting in that scene and then Viola Davis as well later in the movie has a great scene that did the same thing for me and was really well delivered and I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of those two or both receive Oscar nominations for leading best leading actor and best supporting actress respectively uh, between Matt Damon and Viola Davis and who knows if uh, Ben Affleck could get another nod for best director he does great work there and he's really good in the movie as Phil Knight and has some of the best uh, comedic moments in the movie as well so it's a very well told drama but it's also has some really funny parts that you probably uh, weren't expecting going in so uh, it's more of a dramedy to me they mix uh, the drama and the comedy really well and I think it's just really a compelling story uh, that they're telling uh, that a lot of people don't realize going in um, you know, it talks about it in at the beginning of the movie. Of course, Nike was by far the lowest selling of all the major shoe companies. I mean, below Adidas, Converse, all of them. It was not doing very well, and this kind of really essentially changed the game. So it not only is a great story, you know, it, it's not really a sports story. It doesn't involve Michael Jordan necessarily other than it being about him. He's not a character in the movie. You're really learning a lot about Sonny Vaccaro, and it's kind of almost a hero's journey for that character played by Matt Damon. And then you're learning a lot about Nike's rise and a little bit about Phil Knight as well. But they also did a great job of throwing in 80s nostalgia. The movie takes place in 1984. A lot of the needle drops, the soundtrack comes from the 80s, and it really gives you a great job of recreating that 80s nostalgia as well. So I thought Air was uh, phenomenally done. That's why it's my 
top film of the year right here, and I'll scroll through all the ones I've seen so far if you want to see how I've ranked them. But as always, uh, respond in the comments on the video side if you're watching. Let me know some of your favorite films of the year so far if you're into the off-topic babble stuff. And, of course, you can always email us, countryroadswebcast at gmail.com with any thoughts or hit us up on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Country Roads Webcast. And then, of course, on Twitter, we're at WVU Country Roads. But having said that, let's get into the main reason you're here, of course. That's to talk some WVU Mountaineer sports, some Mountaineer news. And what better way to do that than with our Mountaineer news segment? All right, leading off Mountaineer News was something we covered on Season 5, Episode 155, so I wanted to update it here. On Episode 156, as we said we would, when more came out about the situation, and of course, we now know the consequences, the punishment that will be served to West Virginia coach Bob Huggins. It is not a termination, but it is indeed a suspension, plus more, and I'm sure most of you have probably heard about this already. We covered this extensively on our YouTube channel as well, but this article here, of course, comes from WV Sports Now. Written by Ethan Bach once the announcement came out. And just kind of a brief summary. I'm not going to go into the statements. You can go read full statements detailing everything pretty in depth from Gordon Gee and Ren Baker, as well as another statement from Bob Huggins on the university's official site when they made the press release. But as far as the penalties that are served to Bob Huggins, essentially it is a three-game suspension to start the season. His salary is reduced by $1 million with that money being donated, both some to Xavier University and the other to some LGBTQ plus organizations. In addition to those things, Coach Huggins will personally have to fulfill some obligations to the groups within the LGBTQ plus community, some uh, that they will be working with from outside of the university, some within West Virginia's uh, university there that he will have to uh, serve a certain amount of time, I'm sure, but I believe he's expected to go above and beyond that, hopefully, but I believe that part of the deal is just something he kind of has to fulfill on his own, whereas the suspension, salary reduction, etc. has already been enforced onto him. And the most interesting uh, penalty to come out of this, in my opinion, was the amendment of his contract from a multi-year agreement to a single-year agreement uh, beginning on May 10th, 2023 and ending April 30th of next year. So less than a year remaining on Bob Huggins' contract, and it seems like something they will revisit yearly as if to keep him at West Virginia or not. So we know we will have Bob Huggins on the sideline for this upcoming season, save for the first three games. However, beyond that, his future at WVU still up in the air, save for this one season. I'm sure they will revisit come April and uh, decide what to do from there. But for the upcoming season, we know there will be a different coach leading the Mountaineers for the first three games of the season. Has not been uh, mentioned exactly who will be the interim coach. I think it would probably be expected to be Ron Everhart or maybe uh, the recently promoted Josh Eilert are probably the top two candidates to do that for the first three games. Other questions that I've heard come up is, is Coach Huggins going to be able to be involved in the team trip to um, Italy, I believe it is, wherever they're going out of the country this offseason. And I would suspect so. I, I would say the way that the suspension will function is that he can you know be with the team throughout the offseason but once the regular season starts he probably can't be involved for that three games period and then uh, return to the team after that so I think throughout the offseason the team trips and stuff I would suspect he would still be able to be involved in those but definitely wanted to update the Bob Huggins situation now that we know more here on the podcast as well since we had already done so on
on the YouTube channel. And like I said, head over to WVUSports.com to read the full statements from both WVU President Gordon Gee, Athletic Director Ren Baker, and then another statement from Bob Huggins as well in regards to his suspension that he is now facing and the punishments that he will serve. That includes a $1 million salary reduction, new contract obligations, and now a one-year contract that is up at the end of April of 2024. All right, next up on Mountaineer News, got to talk a little bit of WVU baseball. I know me and Bradley briefly touched on it on Season 5, Episode 155, but wanted to get into it further here because that success that we talked about on the previous episode has certainly continued for the West Virginia Mountaineers as at the time of this recording, they have one series left to re- remaining to play on the season. That's coming up this weekend. But at this time, West Virginia is currently top 10 in the country by multiple ranking publications there throughout Division I baseball, as you see here on WVSportsNow.com. This article written by Mike Oste. West Virginia now 39-13 and 13 overall on the season, 15-6 and six in Big 12 conference play. And as you can see here, they've reached as high as number six in the country, according to the D1 baseball rankings, which you'll see on the screen there if you're viewing on the video side. West Virginia sixth in the country behind a top five of Wake Forest, currently number one. Arkansas number two, Stanford number three, Florida number four, and LSU number five. West Virginia just ahead of the seventh place team. Clemson, West Virginia also ranked in the top 10 in the Baseball America poll. First time ever in the top 10 in the 43-year history of that poll, according to John Antonick there, who put out the tweet when West Virginia was ranked seventh in that. So multiple college baseball publications ranking the West Virginia Mountaineers inside of the top 10 nationally following another successful series with one more to go. They currently sit as the top team in the Big 12 standings, as I will pull up those and show them for you guys that are tuned in on the video side, just to showcase West Virginia is up by two games in the Big 12 standings, three games remaining, as we know, with one series left. So West Virginia needs to get a couple wins there to probably feel comfortable, but they have a great chance of finishing the season as the Big 12 regular season champs in baseball this season. Phenomenal job by Randy Mazie. They've set all kinds of attendance records this season, among other things. One of the best players in baseball and J.J. Weatherhold, who I'll touch on again briefly. But right now, the West Virginia Mountaineers scorching hot, won over 70% of their games this season at 39 and 13 and 15 Big 12 wins versus only six losses and that's why you see them here at first place in the conference and a lot of players are the reason for that you can talk about Tevin Tucker you can talk about Grant Hussey you can talk about Blaine Trexel the list goes on and on but of course the main standout this season you got to talk about when you're talking Mountaineer baseball is J.J. Weatherholt and the phenomenal season that he's putting on and because of his play this past week he's been named both the perfect game slash Rawlings player of the week as well was the Big 12 co-player of the week in four games over the past week Weatherholt hit 500 going 8 of 16 with two home runs, two doubles four RBIs and three runs also added a pair of stolen bases you see in this article written by Adam Grossman over on the university's official site there WVUSports.com so it's just a phenomenal season for J.J. Weatherholt continuing. It is the third time this season Weatherholt's earned Big 12 player of the week and the fourth time that Amalnir has earned that honor this season. The last one being Tevin Tucker back on April 24 Fourth. Overall, it's the 17th time at WVU as a player has picked up the honor since joining the league in 2013. 
And the final series coming up of the season, as I said, will be this coming weekend on the road in Austin as West Virginia will take on the Texas Longhorns for the final series of the regular season as they try and close out a Big 12 regular season title. But just to show you a little bit of how great J.J. Weatherholt's season has been, let's look up here at the Division I baseball statistics individual-wise. And he has a great chance, you see, as well, ending the season as the batting average champion for all of college baseball at the Division I level. Currently number one in the nation in batting average with the .466 average on the season. He's also top five in the country in stolen bases. So just having a phenomenal year is the West Virginia sophomore. And I know a lot of people are concerned, of course, in the transfer portal era, in the NIL era of people coming after him. And I'm sure that's going to be something that happens. But hopefully the West Virginia collective, the Country Roads Trust, I have a lot of faith in them and the phenomenal job they've been doing. I think they're going to do all they can to retain J.J. Weatherholt, who seems like a pretty loyal guy. But right now, Let's just soak up the amazing run that he's on, the amazing run that the West Virginia Mountaineer baseball team is on in general, and hope that they're able to close it out in the regular season with a regular season title and then start to look forward what this team can do nationally. And let's have our fingers crossed that we see a West Virginia Mountaineers team not only host a regional, that seems almost imminent at this point. I would love to see us in the College World Series. How crazy would that be? And it's not too far-fetched with this team's success thus far this season. And shout-out to J.J. Weatherhold and the phenomenal season he's having. And I know WVU baseball is not something that we've ever really covered on the Country Roads webcast, and that's because I don't really know too much about WVU baseball, to be completely quite honest with you. And I think that that just goes to show how awesome this West Virginia Mountaineers team is, is the fact that not only have we never covered it, but personally, I've never even tuned into a baseball game for a full nine innings ever in my life, probably before this season where I've listened to a couple of games and tuned into a couple on ESPN plus. So that's a heck of an accomplishment on its own is getting me to really enjoy baseball at that level. But I actually have really been enjoying, maybe it's the thing that I've been lacking is I've never tried to watch the college game. I enjoy the aluminum bats. They hit a lot. And this West Virginia team, certainly exciting scoring, you know, 15 plus runs in multiple games here recently. So just a great season and J.J. Weatherholt and his home run hitting ability and his great nation-leading batting average is a big reason why. And then last up here in Mountaineer News, we'll talk about a little bit of football news that's a bit unrelated to the West Virginia transfer news we'll talk about as our main topic coming up here in just a second. But I know on the last episode on 155, we talked about Tony Mathis transferring out of WVU. So I wanted to update that here on episode 156 by letting you guys know his transfer destination, which unfortunately for Mountaineer fans is an in-conference foe. So we will certainly see Tony Mathis at least one more time, if not two more times, as he has a couple years of eligibility left. But he goes down to the Houston Cougars where he will reunite with former West Virginia coach Dana Holgerson, who was the one who originally recruited Tony Mathis to West Virginia out of high school back in 2018, as you see here, detailed in this article by Ethan Bach over on WVSportsNow.com. But Tony Mathis going to Houston where I would honestly expect him to maybe end up as a team starter and probably end up as a team starter. If I'm being honest, I know Houston's uh, lead running back transferred out. So they certainly had a need at the position. Tony Mathis in a crowded backfield of West Virginia probably wanted to be and go somewhere where he could be featured more exclusively. I think Houston's a great spot for that. Unfortunately, like I said, for West Virginia, it means we'll have to face him. Hate having to face those former players, unfortunately, but uh, we'll see how it turns out. Hopefully it goes better for the Mountaineers than it did on the basketball side when they had to face Jalen Bridges, but 
definitely uh, going to be an interesting game when West Virginia played Houston already due to the Dana Holgerson factor. But now they have a few few former Mountaineers on that club as well, uh, most recent additions being Mike O'Laughlin and now, of course, the former West Virginia running back Tony Mathis with a great chance to serve as the Houston starting running back this upcoming season and potentially the next one as well and still has two years left. So we probably haven't seen the last of Tony Mathis, Mountaineer Nation, and we will probably see him play again this season. But I guess that will pretty much wrap us up here with our Mountaineer News segment now. Let's dive in here on our main topic and do a little bit of a transfer portal update as we talk about some recent transfer portal additions as the West Virginia Mountaineers football squad had a big week in the transfer portal. All right, so as we dive into our main topic, we're going to talk about three transfer additions that have come in for the West Virginia Mountaineers since we've last had an update here on the Country Roads webcast audio version here on the podcast side with these long-form episodes. But we'll go through it chronologically in kind of the order that they occurred, starting with the defensive lineman that we talked about on episode 155 that was visiting the Mountaineers and to watch for a commitment from just days after us dropping that episode. That commitment did come down the line. And, of course, all of these were detailed in great articles over on W. WVSportsNow.com, and we're talking about Tomiwa Duraje first coming to the West Virginia Mountaineers from Kentucky with four years of eligibility remaining. Great size, six foot four, two hundred and eighty pounder. I think he's going to do great things for West Virginia football as a pass rusher throughout his career. Only played in three games during his time at Kentucky, but he was a guy that West Virginia was in on out of high school. West Virginia maintained the relationship, but ends up paying off, and West Virginia really. I think needed someone to create some edge pressure and to help them at that defensive end position, especially after they lost out on Antoine Powell, who we really thought we were going to hear good news about. He ultimately elected to go to Virginia Tech, but West Virginia was already in on Duraje at that point, and I think, who knows, maybe they ended up coming out on the good end of it because Duraje has extensive eligibility and I think is really talented to see here. Coming out of high school, ranked as the number 42 defensive end in the nation, so a top 50 player at the defensive end position coming into West Virginia with four years of eligibility remaining and I think that West Virginia has done a good job to go after some pass rushers securing Tommy Wadurage to go with Tyron Bradley who we talked about in our previous update here on the Country Roads webcast so that was the first commitment that West Virginia was able to snag and then just a few short days later West Virginia picks up another commitment this time from a wide receiver and this one's very interesting because if you guys remember us previously talking about Jalen Ellis a former transfer that had committed to the Mountaineers coming over from Baylor deciding to flip to Colorado, go play for Coach Prime, Deion Sanders over there at Colorado earlier this month. So West Virginia essentially here returns the favor to Colorado, getting a transfer that had previously committed to the Buffaloes to flip to West Virginia this time, where he'll actually stay within the same state and play football for the upcoming season as he's coming over from Marshall at the wide receiver position. And West Virginia had targeted Jalen Ellis because of his speed. After losing him, they go out and get another transfer out of the portal that is really fast as well to still try and add some speed to that wide receiver room. But I would also argue that it appears to me EJ Horton's a bit of a better route runner than Jalen Ellis was as well. So West Virginia may still have come out on the better side of this one still yet. I know the numbers aren't there for EJ Horton, but he didn't get to play a ton yet at Marshall. Still very young. And also Charles Huff and the Marshall Thundering Herd are Definitely a more predominantly run-based team, running the football well over 50% of the time. I'd probably say even well over 60% of the time. But Horton's a six-foot wide receiver, 186 receiving yards on 12 catches in 12 games with the Thundering Herd. 
had multiple Power 5 offers, though, so he was a sought-after player in the transfer portal as showcased by his previous commitment to Colorado and then winding up at a Power 5 program at West Virginia. So West Virginia secured the commitment of Horton, who has three years of eligibility remaining, but he wasn't the only wide receiver that West Virginia would pick up transfer-wise. It would only take them one day later to announce the commitment of another wide receiver, and that wide receiver was indeed Noah Massey from the Division II level at Angelo State and don't let the Division 2 tag fool you. Ever since he entered the transfer portal, there's been teams going after Noah Massey. Go watch the film. Like I said, I updated both of these transfers on our Country Roads webcast YouTube channel in a video. And in that video, I shared a little bit of highlights of Massey and I think you guys will really like the looks of his game. He's a guy with strong hands. Looks like he can be a weapon in both the red zone and possibly in conversion down situations. Can go up and get the ball. And I think his stature gives West Virginia something they haven't had in a long time with a wide receiver with this type of frame as you see here six foot four 230 pounds only one year of eligibility remaining for Noah Massey so he's a player West Virginia will look to potentially factor in right away whether that's playing on the opposite side of Devin Carter or splitting time with him on that side I think you will definitely see Noah Massey as one of West Virginia's two outside wide receivers at times throughout this season and as you see there during his time at Angelo State great stats 81 catches 1,083 yards and scored nine touchdowns during his two years there. And I think he could be a factor for the Mountaineers this upcoming season at the wide receiver position. We knew they wanted to add some people that could help them on the outside. And I think in adding Horton and in adding Massey, they did that. You get a guy with speed that's a good route runner in Horton, and then you go get a large frame wide receiver that has a stature that you haven't really had at that position a ton. And I think to go right along with Devin Carter, they're good, strong guys that can really help you. So you've added wide receiver of West Virginia throughout this offseason that I think can help you in different ways. And I think quietly now, West Virginia is doing a very good job in the transfer portal. Let me show you guys their current transfer portal ranking. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. All right, so as you can see here, if you're watching on the video side, I've got the 247 Sports Transfer Football Team rankings pulled up. As you can see here, Colorado, obviously the number one transfer portal class just due to the amount of commits they had solely. I mean, they have 47 transfer commits, but that's going to be needed when you lose. I think it was over 70 players since Deion Sanders came in, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to have a large transfer portal class. But for West Virginia right now, they're currently 26th in the country in transfer portal ranking with only 13 commits, so not a ton of commits. They've just got pretty good qualities. You see there, the average rating over 85, 86.92, nearly an 87 rating on the average West Virginia transfer commit. So I think quietly they've done a very good job in the transfer portal this offseason, especially compared to the job they've done in some previous offseasons. I think that the pieces that they've brought in have mainly all been guys that are going to contribute right away and help you this upcoming season, whereas some of the pieces that you lost were guys that were a little bit further down the depth chart that may not have been able to help you as much this upcoming season season anyway and may have been more of projects for the future so West Virginia right now with a top five transfer portal class in conference and I believe would be top three or so with Oklahoma and Texas excluded if you're talking new Big 12. So right now, West Virginia near a top 25 transfer portal class, I think quietly doing a very good job. Let's pull up the transfer portal tracker here on the Country Roads webcast we've been using throughout the offseason and talk a little bit more in depth about the transfers West Virginia's brought in versus what they lost. So that way I can really detail for you guys just how good of a job I think West Virginia's done in the transfer portal this offseason and how it's going and flying a bit under the radar. But who knows, maybe that'll be beneficial to the Mountaineers and they'll be able to shock some teams this upcoming season.
All right, and as I mentioned earlier, if you tuned in on the Country Roads Webcast YouTube channel, if you're subscribed over there, you've been seeing some transfer portal updates throughout the offseason where I've been showing this transfer portal tracker where I've been trying to keep updating the transfers as they've left West Virginia as well as when they've come in. So I've got a pretty decent transfers out list and a pretty decent transfers in list here. These are all the scholarship transfers in. Of course, there are some preferred walk-ons you won't see here. Luke Hamilton, a fullback that transferred into the Mountaineers and a couple others that may contribute down the line you won't see here. Scholarship players only, of course, but as far as transfers in versus transfers out, I think West Virginia has quietly done a very good job at what they've done in the transfer portal. Let's just look at it position by position here. We're talking about quarterbacks. You transfer out JT Daniels and Goose Crowder, who I would argue both are quarterbacks that probably don't exactly fit the type of system that West Virginia is trying to move to now with the type of pieces that they have, strong offensive line, deep running back room, quarterbacks that can uh, run the read option, run the RPO game, and really hurt you with their legs as well as with their arm. So I think you know both of those are more attributed to scheme fit. And of course, we know West Virginia didn't bring in any transfer quarterbacks, but hopefully West Virginia is going to continue to build that through high school. We know they have a true freshman on the roster in Sean Boyle. They're after a good quarterback, a four-star in Samaj Jones for next year's recruiting class. That would be a huge get for West Virginia. And of course, we love the talent and the potential of both Nico Marchiol and Garrett Green. So if that's not a positive, that's at least a wash to me. Running back, I mean, we've talked extensively about how deep West Virginia's running back room is how good it is, and that's one of the things we worried about going throughout the offseason is when we have a deep transfer, or excuse me, a deep position group like West Virginia does in the running back room, you worry about guys transferring out. And for the most part, they've done a really good job managing that. I personally know, and I'm sure others have heard, C.J. Donaldson was definitely attempted uh, to be tampered with by multiple programs that had probably reached out to him and tried to poach him away from West Virginia. But uh, thanks to West Virginia's great NIL collective, the Country Roads Trust, among his as well as C.J.'s personal loyalty and wanting to stay in West Virginia as they were the team that really bought into him out of high school before anyone else in the recruiting cycle. Both of those two things, I think, led to C.J. Donaldson staying at West Virginia, but I'm sure he's not the only Mountaineer running back that was reached out to, as well as some other potential players on the roster. So I think um, after being a couple years into this where they've really been hit hard by some of their superstar players leaving over the past couple of seasons, you look a couple years ago, Tyke Smith, you look last year, uh, Keem Mesador. I think this offseason they did a much better job. Uh, the worst ones that hurt them the most, Caden Prather and Jordan Jefferson, but uh, we'll make cases about those here. Moving on, as far as the running back room is concerned, you only lose Tony Mathis, who I know had previously been a starter for you in the past and I know is a very talented player as well. But you have a really deep running back room there. You don't have to add another running back transfer. So I would also say that's a wash. Now, wide receiver, this is where it gets a little interesting, right? Because we knew this would be one of the areas West Virginia really needed to focus on building throughout the offseason was the wide receiver group because you lose two guys to graduation in Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James who had been Long-time starters, basically throughout the entire Neil Brown era, which, you know, do with that what you will. Some people have considered that a positive. Some people have considered that a negative. Either way, both of those guys have moved on. And then you lose Caden Prather, who was a starter for you last season, and Reese Smith, who was a starter for you in the slot and played a good amount. So all four of your top wide receivers for the West Virginia Mountaineers leave the program. So you got a wholesale replace the wide receiver room, essentially. You got some guys coming back that returning that will help you. Cortez Braham, Jeremiah Aaron, Preston Fox now on scholarship. Even a couple preferred walk-ons that may contribute down the line. Hudson Clement and C.J. Cole come to mind. But what do you go out and get is the question. First, West Virginia starts off with Ja'Shawn Polk, 
who I think could help West Virginia as a slot receiver this season, but primarily to me, that was an addition that's going to really help you on special teams. I think he's got a great chance to serve as the team's kick returner and punt returner, or at least kick returner. He has great experience there. And then you go and get Devin Carter, who was a very highly sought after wide receiver transfer from NC State ton of experience there had really great success I believe he's the one that called the pass to beat Clemson uh, the year that they beat them and then he was actually committed to Penn State so not only did you go out and get a wide receiver a difference maker and it's something that we've talked about in the past year on the CRW podcast when we were talking about West Virginia's needs throughout this offseason was go get a guy that can be a number one wide receiver and I think if you watch throughout the spring our updates or if you got a chance to tune in at the spring game yourself you will indeed see that West Virginia definitely went out and got one in Devin Carter. Not only did they go out and get him, they went out and battled Penn State and got him to come to Morgantown instead. And I think Devin Carter's got a good chance to be your number one wide receiver this season. So there's a couple of your additions. Then you still know that you got to add a couple more, though. you got guys that are probably going to help you. I think Devin Carter is going to be your starter on one side. And then if you're talking about the other side, you've got Cortez Braham, who I think has really done a good job uh, progressing. And throughout the spring, he looked good in the spring game, caught a touchdown even. So he's certainly in competition to be the other outside wide receiver. But I think there was not only a need to bring in a guy to compete with Cortez Braham, but I think there was a need to bring in multiple guys that could play on the outside to not only push those guys in competition, but you also need depth there. You need a two deep at both those outside wide receiver positions. And I think in an ideal world, Deshaun Polk's going to play on the inside. Uh, your freshman coming in, Rodney Gallagher, certainly going to play on the inside. Uh, Traylon Ray, toss up there. Uh, Jarrell Williams, we know throughout the spring, is playing on the inside. Unsure of Davis Mallinger yet, he's still coming back from injury. So on the outside, you were really concerned about what you were doing there. Uh, Preston Fox, I think, is going to factor in there on the outside maybe. But you definitely wanted to add some more bodies at the outside wide receiver position. So cue our main topic, of course, when we're talking transfer portal additions here on episode 156 of the CRW podcast. And EJ Horton and Noah Massey both come into play. And I think they are both guys that are tailor-made outside wide receivers. If you watch E.J. Horton, most of his snaps came on the outside. I think looking through the film, I didn't see too many there. He played in the slot, and when you see a wide receiver that's you know a bit shorter, only six foot tall in speed, you typically think slot, but it seems like he actually fits more on the outside and maybe more of a Shelton Gibson type receiver rather than the Tavon Austin, you know, Rodney Gallagher mold that you see more on the inside, whereas Shelton Gibson had that type of frame as well, but he was really a burner and a great outside receiver for the Mountaineers. I think E.J. Horton may be more of that mold, and maybe Jeremiah Aaron as well. It's still a toss-up to see if he's going to play inside or outside but then certainly Noah Massey with his frame is a guy that's definitely going to help you on the outside you may line him up inside at times you know just to really give defensive nightmares in the red zone if you got Devin Carter and Noah Massey lined up together that's going to be interesting and I think that's something that could help West Virginia this season and where I think Noah Massey may not come in and start for the Mountaineers I certainly think he has a chance to compete for that spot with Cortez Braham I I think that he's a guy that will see the field for the Mountaineers this upcoming season at least situationally even if he is eventually the backup to Devin Carter at the other outside wide receiver position. I think in the red zone, you'll see them have some packages featuring him, certainly. And I think when you got a wide receiver that looks like he has strong hands, has shown production at the college level, at the Division II program at Angelo State, and a lot of people saw his potential as well when they got in on him throughout the transfer portal. Uh, six foot four, 230 pounds. You can certainly work with that. And I think Noah Massey is going to really help West Virginia. So looking at the additions versus the 
subtractions. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? To me, I don't know if I can necessarily call it a win for West Virginia at the wide receiver position. It's probably more even there because you just lost a lot of production and it's unproven guys that you're bringing in, essentially, at least unproven on you at your program. But I do like the fact that West Virginia mixed it up, brought in guys that can help right away and then brought in a guy with multiple years as well, an E.J. Horton that can help you down the road. And not only that, they've also done things within the program to help them at the wide receiver position. Davis Mallinger, who we've talked about in the past, coming over from defense to offense, getting one of your fastest players on your team to the offensive side where he could potentially be a weapon. And I think they've gone out of their way to try and add speed to that position. But they've also added size to that position. When you look at Devin Carter, when you look at Noah Massey, and Cortez Braham as well, six foot three, six foot four on his own right. So I think you've got three good-sized wide receivers, and then you've added some speed to that room as well. So West Virginia has certainly lost a lot of production when you lose Braither, you lose James, and you lose Ford Wheaton. It's hard to call it a win, but that being said, I love the bodies that West Virginia has brought in to this group to compete with the ones they already have returning. And those Juco guys, Braham and Aaron, they usually have a lot better year in that second year in the program. No matter if you're talking college basketball, college football, those Juco guys really seem to turn a corner in that second year once they join your program. So I've got high hopes for them. We know Preston Fox has been uh, regarded to catch everything as a former preferred walk-on. I've got high hopes for him. Uh, So I think West Virginia should be in good shape at the wide receiver position for the upcoming season, depending on how things turn out. But you're talking pass-catching weapons. Let's talk a little bit about Cole Taylor as well. Throw him into this conversation. West Virginia didn't lose a ton at the tight end position. They did lose Mike O'Laughlin, and they did lose Corbin Page, who was a guy I know a lot of people were excited about for the future with him coming from in-state and being you know one of the top recruits in the state and committing to the Mountaineers. Hate to lose him. Mike O'Laughlin, I think, was a good player, but the injury bug, I think a fresh start's not a bad move for him. Hate that he ended up at Houston as well. West Virginia's going to have to face him. But having said that, I think West Virginia certainly wins this battle with what they brought in. Cole Taylor seems to me to be a pass-catching option at the tight end position. West Virginia hasn't had in quite some time. If you followed along throughout the spring, he was making, you know, being reported to make one-handed catches throughout spring practice. Uh, West Virginia football even put it out on their social media pages one time that he did. And then we got to see it for ourselves. If you tune into the spring game, he went out and made a great one-handed grab. I featured it in our top five offensive plays video that I did over on the Country Roads webcast YouTube channel. And at six foot seven, he's certainly going to be a problem for defense. So I think that we're all excited about the West Virginia run game as well. We should be with the talented quarterbacks that can move with this deep offensive line with this strong running back room. Certainly that's going to be a strength. And we saw when West Virginia featured that late last season, it really seemed to play into this team's strengths when they got victories over the two Oklahoma schools. But I think in turn, West Virginia has done some good things to help their passing game as well. And when I've talked about this offense, the one thing I've likened it to is 2016 West Virginia would be best case scenario for this Mountaineer offense to improve. Of course, that's the one year we saw Dana Holgerson utilize kind of more of a run-focused offense at times when Wendell Smallwood led the Big 12 in rushing. Skylar Howard had a great year uh, running for over 500 yards, throwing for over 3,000 yards. And then at wide receiver, you had a good mix of different type of guys. You had a guy that could be more of a possession wide receiver and get you first downs, help you in the red zone in the kill shorts. 
on this team, that could be Devin Carter. That could be Noah Massey. And then you had guys that could get over the top and really hurt defenses with their speed when you lure people to sleep with your run game, with your options, with your zone plays, with your power plays, your counter plays, all that, and you lure the defense to sleep, and you've got those safeties to step up into the box. Then you hit play action over the top with the speedy guy like Shelton Gibson that really terrified defenses. Could that be Jeremiah Aaron? Could that be Rodney Gallagher? Davis, Mallinger, or even E.J. Horton, maybe. I think West Virginia has taken the steps to try and improve this offense all around. Not only have they focused on improving the run game, I'm sure, as we know, it's probably going to be the focal point, but I like what they've done and the weapons that they've brought in that could potentially help the pass game. And then wrapping it up on offense, you're talking offensive line. West Virginia loses a couple of reserves. Chris Mayo, and then Jordan White, who, you know, went in the last season as a starter, but then went down with the injury, and we never really saw much of him after that. I think offensive line, West Virginia is certainly set for now. They've got some young guys they're really excited about as well. You may have to add pieces in the future. I know there were some offensive linemen West Virginia was interested in that may have wanted to add an interior offensive lineman, but I don't think they ended up getting any of the guys they were targeted after. So it would have been great to add one more body, and who knows, I'm not ruling that out that they may in the future, but I think offensive of line right now you're pretty solid you certainly have good starters and you probably have three guys at least that you can count on as reserves uh throughout the season so maybe they'll add one more we'll see what happens but i think we're looking at one of the stronger offensive lines we've seen in a while at west virginia for this upcoming season that's what we should be looking at and certainly should be the best one we've had during the neil brown era defensively you're looking at the defensive line West Virginia, of course, Jordan Jefferson's the standout one there. You hate to lose him at the nose tackle spot. He was kind of tailor-made to play right there in the middle of this defense that West Virginia runs. But West Virginia goes out and adds defensive linemen that I think can really help them replace him. Uh, Fatorma Mulbo is going to be a nose tackle, and he has multiple years of eligibility remaining coming over from Penn State. I think that's going to help the Mountaineers a lot. And then the most underrated addition in the transfer portal for the Mountaineers this offseason, I think maybe Donovan Day Day Hawkins, the defensive lineman coming over from Tennessee State. From all reports throughout the spring, he was wreaking havoc both in the run game and in passing situations. Coming from that defensive tackle spot, I think he's going to help the Mountaineers a lot. He may play situationally, he may not start, but he's going to see the field and be in the rotation. He's going to make some noise when he gets on the field. Look out for Day Day Hawkins. Then West Virginia adds, of course, most recently Tyron Bradley, who I think may play bandit, but he could also play defensive end. And then Tommy Wadurage, who I talked about all already earlier who was a defensive end for the future multiple years of eligibility left so I think you've done a good job adding depth to the defensive line you don't really see a big splash name that essentially is a one-for-one replacement for Jordan Jefferson but what you do see is adding multiple bodies of different types on that defensive line that can help you at multiple positions you got guys that can help you at the defensive end you got guys that can help you at the defensive tackle you got a guy that can play that nose spot for you as well even down the line in Mulbo and as far as who plays that no spot this upcoming season. I think some of the guys already on the roster are more than capable of fulfilling that spot. West Virginia brought in Mike Lockhart last season. We saw him play sparingly. I think he's ready for an expanded role. And then Eddie V is certainly my guy right there. I love Eddie V. And I think the combination of those two may be enough to be a one-for-one replacement for Jefferson. But Day-Day Hawkins, like I said, that's my underrated transfer in for West Virginia this offseason. I think he's going to make noise on the defensive line. But then we get to linebacker, right? And I'm going to include Bandit in with the linebackers. You lose Eric Burton. You lose Linnell Carr. 
Linnell Carr, certainly the more impactful of those two, even though he hadn't played a ton in his own right. Jared Bartlett's pretty much been the only band at West Virginia he's used. For the most part, Linnell Carr last season started being used some, uh, but you lose both of those. You almost lose Torres Simmons. He decides to come back. West Virginia seems to be playing him at defensive end. Don't know if they're going to use him at bandit yet, but uh, as I said, Tyron Bradley's a potential bandit addition. So that could help you there already. And you still have Jared Bartlett. So I like that there. And I think what you've really brought in to help you with the band of position is an early enrollee who you saw play in the spring game, who you probably saw at the spring at times. And that's James Hurd, the true freshman coming in, who you've heard the coaching staff rave about. And I've raved about in the past on the Country Roads webcast. He's the best pure pass rusher they've brought in since this regime came in. And I think he's the future at the band of position. But who knows how much he'll play this upcoming season. But I certainly think he'll get on the field situationally in pass rushing situations. So Bandit, uh, we'll see how it ends up. It's the one position that I think really needs to continue to improve for West Virginia. I know at Troy, this coaching staff, this Neil Brown staff, really got a ton of production from the Bandit spot, and they felt like it was the key to their defensive success. And West Virginia hasn't really had that at the Bandit uh, throughout their time. You've seen it in spots, I think, of the Virginia Tech game at home when uh, Jared Bartlett had like three sacks and really went off in that game. But by all accounts, he's had a really strong offseason, so hopefully that helps the Bandit position. Other than that, at the linebacker spot, you don't lose anything. You don't bring anything in, which is interesting to me. I know West Virginia was targeting some linebackers. As I say this, West Virginia is not done in the transfer portal, I should add. There's still, I believe, two to three scholarships remaining. I believe the scholarship counts at 82 or 83 right now of the 85. So let's not rule out them potentially adding another linebacker because I've talked in the past about the will linebacker spot being the area of concern uh, for me on this defense, just due to the inexperience there. So I would like to see another body there, but all in all, West Virginia didn't really need to add a linebacker. It was just kind of a reassurance thing. I guess you could say, I think you're pretty well set at the Mike linebacker position with Lee Coba and Tyreek Austin cave. You can even throw Caden Bosers name into the mix there. We've seen him, I play there. And then, of course, down the line, you're going to have Trotter, who I think could have factored in there this year. But we know the season-ending injury to the freshman that was going to contribute. But then you look at the wheel linebacker spot, and that's the one that I think that most people are probably concerned about. But the good news is, while there's inexperience there, it's very, very talented, highly touted, high-ceiling, high-potential inexperience. Uh, you got a guy like Trey Lathan, who was one of your highest-rated recruits a couple of classes ago for the Mountaineers that's got a great chance to start there. And then the other player that's kind of competing with him and really pushing him is Joffa Varis, one of West Virginia's international players that you know came initially as a cornerback, so he has great speed, but he spent the past years bulking up, been contributing on special teams, and I think now he's He's in a spot to where he can really help on the defensive side in general at that will linebacker position. You're going to see both those goes both those guys play, excuse me, uh, no matter which one ends up securing the starting spot. But uh, Favaris looked really good to me in the spring game. I was impressed with uh, his speed. And I think Trey Lathan, obviously highly regarded in the class, uh, coming out as an ESPN 150 recruit. So can't go wrong either way there. And then, of course, Ben Cutter, uh, one of the more unheralded, underrated recruits that West Virginia brought in this class, enrolled early, saw him on the field, um, needs to bulk up a little bit, obviously, as a true freshman, but wouldn't be surprised to see him earn some snaps 
perhaps even at the fall and maybe push for some reps at that spot. And then you move on. You're talking about the defensive back position. We'll talk about the safeties. We'll lead off with Spear because I think Spear, you could almost group in with linebacker at times. It's, you know, that hybrid spot for West Virginia. It's, you know, sometimes factors as a safety, a lot of times factors as a nickel corner, and then a lot of times factors, you know, almost as a, up there with the linebacker position. So you essentially got to be able to do it all. Sometimes that means having guys that are different body types at that position because sometimes they might have to play in the box and then sometimes they might have to go down and uh, go man to man with a slot wide receiver. So you really need to have, I think, a different variation. And I think West Virginia has really started doing that, especially when you look at the spear position on the roster as it is now. You got a former linebacker in Lance Dixon. You got a former safety in Hershey McLaurin. And then I think you've got some guys that are going to factor in from these transfers in. You got Keyshawn Cobb. We saw Mark at deep safety throughout the spring, but I'll still not ruling out him being a spear for the Mountaineers. I think he's a good candidate to be the starter there. And then Anthony Wilson as well. Not sure yet if he's going to factor in at deep safety or the spear because he's not on campus yet. But him coming over from Georgia Southern, I think he's tailor-made for the spear position because of his tackling ability. One of the highest tacklers in FBS last season, I think he was third in the country among the FBS level, over 100 tackles at the safety position, over 200 tackles over the past couple of seasons, I believe. And a really great addition that's um, another underrated one for the Mountaineers. But I think both Keyshawn Cobb and Anthony Wilson could factor in at the spear position. So I think West Virginia certainly has plenty of options among the safety group in general where they got plenty of guys to kind of audition at spear throughout fall camp to figure out who is a two or three they really want to use and mix up there and then factor in these others to the other safety spots where they can work in onto the two deep because I think West Virginia needs bodies there. Well, when we're talking about the deep safety positions, you did lose a couple of guys that had played there. Uh, Ty Woodby was working there. And then Caleb Coleman, of course, had been at the two deep on the safety position the past couple of seasons for West Virginia. But like I said, you bring in a couple of safeties that could either play deep or on the at the spear position in Keyshawn Cobb and Anthony Wilson. And then Beanie Bishop, I believe, will factor in more as a corner, but don't rule out him moving to safety as well. We've seen West Virginia do that in the past. But as far as deep safeties on the roster, like I said, Anthony Wilson and Keyshawn Cobb could factor into the too deep at either the free safety or the cat safety. But you still have Aubrey Burks at free safety, who quietly is coming back as the second highest graded power safety in the Power Five, according to PFF, and actually the highest graded safety in the Big 12 Conference last season, according to that same service. So you certainly have a great starter there at the free safety position. And if you got a guy, either Keyshawn Cobb or Anthony Wilson, as a backup to him, relieving him at times, then you certainly are doing very well because those are guys that could start at multiple programs. And if not, then you got to think about the cat safety spot where Marcus Floyd came there last season, was counted on to be the starter despite never playing safety before only being corner. So I think, you know, people were kind of hard on him. It was a bit of a mixed bag. He played better later in the season, but I think a lot of people are looking at that position as one that may be up for grabs. So maybe Anthony Wilson comes in and competes there. Maybe Keyshawn Cobb uh, starts to factor in there at cat instead of free where we saw him a lot throughout the spring, or maybe even Beanie Bishop, who's expected to play corner, moves there to cat. But also, let's not rule out some of the young talent that West Virginia has that will compete there. Guys like Christian Stokes, um, et cetera, come to mind. So I think safety-wise, I like what West Virginia has. I like what they brought in. And then the one area, of course, people want to talk about the most, probably the cornerback position. That's what really hurt West Virginia last season. When Charles Woods went down, they you know 
know, didn't really have anybody to step up and kind of be the guy. A lot of the defense at that secondary level, I think, was tailor-made about around Charles Woods as far as him being the guy that made the calls, the leader of that. And so it really threw a wrench into the plans last season. He, of course, has since moved on from the Mountaineers, as you see on the transfer out list. West Virginia also lost Jalen Shelton a junior college cornerback who had never really gotten a chance to contribute yet at that level. And then, of course, Mumu Ben-Wahad, a true freshman last season, one of the earliest players to leave the West Virginia Mountaineers and enter the transfer portal. But what West Virginia brought in this offseason, I think some people have kind of threw their noses up at just because of last season, West Virginia really brought in a guy from the group of five level and a guy from the FCS level, and it really did not work out for West Virginia. They were not ultimately fit for what WV was trying to do. Um, and, you know, whatever the reason for that being uh, what it was, it, you know, Kesara, Sarah, right? It was what it was. But I think because of that, people are really judging the players that West Virginia brought in this offseason because of their group of five designation. And I'm looking at a guy like Montre Miller, and I've talked about him in the past a ton, and I'll continue to kind of sing his praises. I think he's got a good chance to end up as a starting corner for West Virginia this season. Done great against Power 5 competition when he's faced them. Go watch Kent State's game against Georgia last season. They played them better than most teams have uh, throughout the year last year. Kent State really uh, did a better job with Georgia than a lot of the Power 5 teams that faced them did. And the most impressive stat about Montre Miller that I'll continue to throw out there is he's played nearly 900 snaps at the college level, never committed one pass interference penalty. And I think he's a lot faster than the cornerbacks West Virginia brought in last season. And you can see that throughout the spring. You can see that in the spring game. Like I said, I talked about the top five offensive plays video earlier. Also did a top five defensive plays on the Country Roads webcast YouTube channel. And a lot of those I featured were West Virginia corners and how they defended the deep ball because you can certainly tell it's a focus that they had throughout the soft season to try and get better there. And I think Montre Miller really showcased that a couple of times in that video. Sometimes he looked like he was beat and the wide receiver had a step on him, but by the time the ball got there, he had the closing speed to break the play up. And I think that's something that we're going to see him do this season, whether he ends up as a starter or just one of the members of the two deep at the cornerback position, but he certainly has a good chance. And then Beanie Bishop coming over from Minnesota. I mentioned him earlier. He's got a great chance to factor in as the, to the two deep at the cornerback position if West Virginia decides to use him there. So you added transfers that outweigh what you lost there transfer-wise, I think, with the exception being Charles Woods. But let's be honest, Charles Woods wasn't a contributor to this team last season. He was out. He came back for that one game, and then he kind of you know, sidelined himself and decided to hit the portal. So uh, you're bringing in guys that did contribute to their teams last season and I think are going to be better additions than the transfer defensive backs you brought in last season, certainly. So, And in addition to that, I really love the young guys and the young potential that West Virginia has at the cornerback spot as well. When you look at two guys like an Andrew Wilson-Lamp, who you know is one of the faster players on the team and has done a great job really taking to that cornerback position after moving from wide receiver where he played that in high school. Now I think he's really there where he can contribute for the Mountaineers at that spot this season. And then Jacoby Spells, we saw him make plays in spots last season playing a little bit more than he was probably expected to as a true freshman, but still his talent shined through as he was the highest rated recruit in West Virginia's recruiting class last season. And West Virginia did a lot to get him out of Miami. I think this could be the year that maybe he comes into his own as a starter at that position. We'll see how it pans out. But then you also don't forget Malachi Ruffin, right? A former walk-on that throughout his career has really molded himself into a good contributor for West Virginia. I think last season he was counted upon when he wasn't expected to be. And of course that was mixed results for a 
lot of the season. But then late last season, he really made some plays that helped West Virginia beat both those Oklahoma schools. And he's looked really good in the spring and made a couple good pass breakups in the spring game as well. So between Montre Miller, Beanie Bishop, Andrew Wilson-Lamp, Jacoby Spells, and Malachi Ruffin, I think out of those five names, you're going to be able to form a pretty good two deep at either one of those cornerback spots. So I like that as well. And then special teams, right? That's something that we got to talk about. West Virginia doesn't necessarily lose any transfers out, but Casey Legg does decide to retire. So the place-kicking job is up for battle. And Michael Hayes comes in from Georgia State to compete for that. Him and Danny King, I think, are a toss-up as to who will be the place-kicker. But West Virginia has struggled a bit at kickoffs. Hopefully, Michael Hayes is able to alleviate that. He has a really great touchback percentage, so hopefully that helps the Mountaineers in that area. And then as far as the people that came in, like I said, Ja'Shawn Polk, I think is a great special teams addition to potentially be a kick returner for the Mountaineers. And don't rule out some of these other speedy guys maybe factoring in there as well when you're looking at maybe an EJ Horton or something like that. But all in all, I like the special teams for West Virginia this upcoming season, whether it's Michael Hayes or Danny King doing the place kicking duties. I loved the true freshman Oliver Straw last season. He's competing with a walk on and Leighton Bechtel to be the punter. And then the return man, like I said, that's a job that's up for grabs, both kick returner and punt returner. Deshaun Polk's probably going to factor in. A healthy Davis Mallinger, I would assume, would definitely factor in. Rodney Gallagher, when he gets here, will probably factor into that competition. Jeremiah Aaron, we've seen him do it in the past. He's certainly one that's up for it. So those are some names to watch as far as return men. But there's a bit of a transfer portal update. I wanted to talk a little bit about not only the three additions that West Virginia brought in here since we've had a chance to drop a podcast episode. I definitely want to detail those, but also kind of wanted to just go through it position by position like that just to showcase that West Virginia has probably done a better job in the transfer portal than most fans realize. And I think of these, what is it, 13, 14 names now? That West Virginia has brought in, I believe it's 14. I think they've really brought in some guys that are really going to help them this year as well as some guys with multiple years left. And you know I've talked in the past about loving those guys that you can get out of the transfer portal with multiple years remaining because then you're essentially locking them into their your program at least until they graduate unless they want to sit out a year because you can only transfer once without having to sit out a year unless you graduate then you can transfer again. So I love getting those transfers with three, four years of eligibility left. West Virginia has done that in this class. And they've also brought in guys with one year of eligibility remaining that's going to help them right away. And I think those guys that they've brought in, those single year eligibility transfers are guys that are going to really make an impact for this upcoming team in 2023. So there's a bit of a transfer portal update here on season five, episode 156 of the CRW podcast. All right, so there you have it, Mountaineer Nation. Really hope you enjoyed our deep dive on the West Virginia transfer portal efforts throughout this offseason, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as a whole here as we get ready to close out Season 5, Episode 156 of the CRW Podcast. appreciate you guys tuning in, whether you're a listener on the audio side, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. If you're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, wherever you find the Country Roads webcast, we appreciate you tuning in, and be sure and share us around with other Mountaineer fans you may know. And if you're a viewer of the video version, be sure to hit that like button. Give us a thumbs up. That helps us a ton as well as it does. If you subscribe, it can help us and you. Helps get more of this Mountaineer sports content out to Mountaineer Nation. And then, of course, follow the Country Roads webcast on any social media platform, Facebook and Instagram, Country Roads webcast. And then on Twitter, our handle at WVU Country Roads. What you see there on the bottom if you're tuned in on the video version. Jam-packed episode. 
with all the segments, save for Mount Near Multiple Choice, of course, because can't do that by myself, but hopefully we'll have all the hosts together again soon and get to end out with our favorite game show here on the CRW podcast, Mount Near Multiple Choice. Hopefully we'll see that return with a future episode of the podcast here as we continue to progress through the offseason. Like I said, getting closer and closer to Mount Near football season, and we can't wait, and I'm sure you all can't either. But be sure, let us know how you're feeling about anything we've covered throughout the episode, whether it's an off-topic babble topic, if it's anything we talked about in Mount Near News, or, of course, our main topic here, talking a little bit of WVU football transfer let us know in the comments on the video side. If you're on the audio side, you can always reach out to us on any of those aforementioned social media platforms or shoot us an old school email. Hit us up on Gmail, countryroadswebcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate the interactions any way you choose to do so as we continue to try and grow the Country Roads Webcast community throughout Mountaineer Nation. Plenty of topics to cover as we continue to roll through the offseason and look forward to the 2023 Mountaineer football season. So we'll be back with episode 157 in the near future. Until then, as always, I'm Jordan Cruz, and let's go Mountaineer. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those